Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Well, thank you so much. Y'all are too kind. Uh, you know, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. If you're here online, uh, we love you. We're, we're so glad that you tuned in. And uh, don't forget to check in as mentioned before. And uh, if you have any questions or anything you want to say or even want some prayer, we have people from Coastal ready to communicate with you and talk with you. And so feel free to take advantage of that. Uh, but uh, thank you so much. I- I'm excited to be here to be able to continue in our summer reading series that we've been going through over the past four weeks. Now, before I do, I would not be doing my job well or, or be doing a good job if I did not plug something that is happening that our church is really excited about. This one Wednesday kicks off our student ministry. Coastal student ministry kickoff is this Wednesday, August 24th. If you have a student, uh, definitely they're going to want to be a part. Pastor Chris and Miss Janet are providing the food, so you know the food is going to be amazing. Uh, Doors open at 6, we're going to hang out, we're going to fellowship, and then our service starts at 6.30 and ends at 8, and uh, it's just going to be an awesome time. If you're a family who, because of COVID or for some other reasons, you stepped away from student ministry for a bit, this is an awesome opportunity just to check it out and see what God's doing through our student ministry. And uh, if you don't have a student and you're thinking, how can I be involved? How can I plug in? The biggest thing you can do to support us is we need your prayer. I need your prayer. Our students need your prayer. Uh, Our families need your prayer. Our adult leaders 100% need your prayer uh, because they're awesome and they do a good job. But, you know, something I told them yesterday in a training was student ministry isn't easy. And it's extremely rewarding, but there's some unique challenges that come when you work with students and teenagers. And if you have a teenager, uh, then you know exactly what that's like. And so it's something we're excited about this Wednesday. Uh, Come check it out. But we are continuing in our summer reading series, and if you've been with us, you know we've been going through some Christian classics. And I can't speak for everyone, but I can definitely speak for myself in saying that I've just deeply enjoyed this series. Our pastor staff has done an amazing job delivering some of these uh, books and pieces and, and using God's Word to tie in, and it's just been awesome. And it's, it's really been transforming for me, uh, just being discipled by these people who, although they're not here with us today, they're still investing in us, and, and that's just awesome. So the book we have for today, the book that I chose was The Cost of Discipleship. Now, our author, uh, not only does he have one of the most unique names in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I'm going to do my best not to mess that up throughout the, throughout the sermon, uh, but he might be the most controversial of all the authors that we have today, and I'll tell you why in just a second. Uh, but before we dive into the book, we're going to look a little bit at Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life and just discuss who he was and how he got to writing this book, because who he was as a person greatly impacted uh, what discipleship is and impacts how we view that it does indeed have a cost. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in the early 20th century in 1906, and he grew up in Germany. And uh, he was born in a line of professors and pastors, and so he grew up with a love of theology and education, and he one day became a pastor. And he began his pastorate career in London, but decided that God was calling him to spend some time in the United States. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer leaves London and travels to the States, and uh, he spends most of his time worshiping with a predominantly African-American Baptist church. And the reason he loved doing this so much, and he, you know, he loved this so much, and he would tell people is just because the passion of these people, specifically in the way that they're worshipped, uh, in the way that they worshipped, it was just contagious. And he loved it so much, and so uh, that was a big thing that he took away from his time in America. And so he spends about a year here in the States, but he feels like God is calling him to go back to Germany to minister to his country about a specific thing that we'll mention in just a second. But when Dietrich Bonhoeffer leaves America, he takes with him one really important thing from his time here in America. And it was that given the tragic reality that was racism in the 1920s, something we as a nation admittedly are still working on today, 
Bonhoeffer saw firsthand the mistreatment of his black friends and was grieved that even Christians were treating others as anything less than wonderful people made in the image of God. And it was this piece of his character that drove him to become who he was becoming for the rest of his life. Bonhoeffer leaves America and he returns to Germany and he does so because he recognizes a false theology happening throughout the country called cheap grace. And we're going to define that in just a second. But he sees that this cheap grace is plaguing his nation. And so he, he goes and he spends time ministering to his nation. And it is actually this cheap grace, this false theology that drives him to write the book that we're talking about today. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer wrote the book in 1937. Now, if you know anything about your history, you know that there's something pretty important, pretty significant happening at the end, in Germany at the end of the 1930s. There's a radical socialist political party rising to power called the Nazi Party behind their infamous leader, Adolf Hitler. And this party advocated for anti-Semitic laws that ended up killing millions. It would have been bad if I said thousands, but, thousands, but it ended up killing millions of Jews in marginalized people groups. Now, given Bonhoeffer's time in America, there was no way that Bonhoeffer was going to sit there and watch it happen without speaking up. Publicly, Bonhoeffer would speak up against the Nazi rise to power and during, while they were in power. Now, this isn't something that people were doing at that time. It was, not a, it was a big no-no to speak up publicly against the Nazis, but Bonhoeffer didn't care. He had a conviction that all people were created in God's image and that they needed to be fought for. And so he spoke up publicly, but he went a step further. It's one thing to speak up publicly, but it's one thing to do something about it. Bonhoeffer was actually arrested towards the end of World War II because he, a pastor, was linked to an assassination attempt on the life of Adolf Hitler. Now, there's some ethical discussion to be had about whether this is something that's right or wrong, and I'm sure we could have some pretty frivolous debate about it, but we can, you know, accept the fact that Bonhoeffer had a conviction about this, and he was willing to live by it. Bonhoeffer was put in a concentration camp where he was eventually executed just days before Allied forces liberated that camp. And so although it's extremely difficult to summarize a person in just a few minutes, as I just tried to do, it's even harder to do so in a sentence. But for our purposes today, I want to summarize Bonhoeffer in this way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a uh, pastor who was extremely committed to his Christianity, his character, and his convictions. Now I want to talk about two convictions. The first being that all people are made in God's image and are loved and cherished by their creator. Bonhoeffer not only believed this conviction, Bonhoeffer died by this conviction. This is the reason he died. This is what he gave his life to. But the second conviction that he equally died for and equally gave his life to is that discipleship has a cost. Now, although I am passionate about both those convictions and topics, since we're in the summer reading series, I guess it's only natural and right that we go ahead and talk about the one that he wrote the book about that we're talking about uh, today, The Cost of Discipleship. So what is this book about? What is the book about primarily? Well, like I said, he wrote it because he realized a false theology in Germany called cheap grace. Bonhoeffer was writing to te teach the Christians of his time that the New Testament teachings are not simply teachings meant to be admired. Their teachings meant to be obeyed. But what is cheap grace? How do we define this? Bonhoeffer defines it this way on page 44. He says, cheap grace is the grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves as people. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. 
grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. Now, I get that, you know, Bonhoeffer was writing in a completely different time period, and there were a lot of theological statements made there. So let me give you a personal example from my own life as a former user and abuser of cheap grace on what this actually is. And so I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were awesome, and I, I knew what the gospel was as I grew up. And in some type of church setting, when I was a, a kid, someone came, and they shared the gospel with me again, and they, they did a really good job. You know, they told me how I'm a sinner and how my sin separates me from God because he is righteous, but Jesus came and lived the perfect life I couldn't. He died on my behalf. All I had to do is pray and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm a Christian. And that's great. That is the gospel, but... I missed on a really important part. I missed out on a really important fact is what I thought I had to do is I thought as, as long as I said this prayer, I was then good to go and do whatever I wanted to do. I said this prayer and then, you know, months, years later, it was like I had never said that prayer in the first place because my life had not changed. I was still pursuing my own desires, all the things that I wanted. I, I was using Jesus's grace as if it were cheap to be able to do what I wanted. See, I thought since I had said this prayer, I was good to live as I pleased and nothing in my life had changed. I thought that through God's sacrifice, through Jesus' sacrifice, I was good or rather for our purposes today, I thought that I was free to do whatever I wanted. But if you're a Christian in this room, you know that that is not grace and you know that that is not freedom either. That is bondage. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But it is because of this cheap grace that Bonhoeffer writes this book. And he writes the book, and I believe there's three things that we can take from this book and three things that we can apply and look at and uh, will impact our lives today. If you're taking notes, this will be uh, the first point that we have for today it is that the cost of discipleship is everything. Now, I didn't say it's a little bit. I didn't say it's a whole lot. Uh, I use a pretty broad term, a pretty all-including term. I said everything. But before we talk about that, we need to clarify something. Salvation. The act of being saved, the act of receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that costs us absolutely nothing. That is free to us. But the call to look like Jesus, the call to discipleship, that costs us everything. Well, how do I know this? I know this because in Luke 14, 25-30, Jesus says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build but was not able to finish. Now, Jesus is clear in this passage passage and throughout God's word, it's clear that Jesus accepts you just as you are. You don't have to work on yourself uh, to be acceptable for Jesus. He offers the gift of salvation to you freely just as you are now. But he's also clear in this passage that if you're going to follow him in discipleship, then you need to be willing to pick up your cross. Now, carrying one's cross isn't easy. But similarly, pursuing Jesus in a world that directly opposes them also is not easy as well. In fact, Jesus says that if you're considering to pursue him, if you're considering to accept him, to pursue discipleship, then you should even consider to evaluate, to critically think if bearing one's cross is worth it. You should consider if the sacrifices that need to be made to pursue Jesus are worth it. Now, for those of us who are believers, we know that, of course, indeed, it is. 
But how does this relationship work? How is salvation free, but discipleship not equally as easy? How does that work? Well, let me provide you this example. I love to fly. I love to fly in airplanes. I like to refer to airplanes as roller coasters in the sky. Like, I just love going through, and you feel the acceleration, and you take off. And I sometimes like when we hit a little bit of turbulence, not too much, uh, but I just, you know, it's fun. I just have a good time. And, you know, there's really nothing you can do if you're in the plane if it's going down. So it's, it's just a good time. I really enjoy being in an airplane. But let's just say, you know, I know I didn't help many of you who have anxiety about that. I apologize. It's, I just enjoy it. I'm, I guess I'm a thrill seeker. But let's say that I wanted to get my pilot's license. Now, if any of you know anything about getting your pilot's license, you know it's not cheap. You, uh, eventually, you're either going to buy a plane or you have to rent a plane, so that's expensive. You have to pay for flight school or some type of education. You have to pay for an instructor. It's not cheap. It's going to cost you th- several thousands of dollars at the end of it. But let's say someone came up to me and they said, hey, Jacob, we're going to pay for you to be able to go to flight school. I'm like, that's awesome. And they're like, we're not just going to pay for flight school. We're going to pay for everything. It is going to be absolutely, completely, entirely free. And I'm like, this is great. I'm going to become a pilot. By the way, I don't want to become a pilot. So if you're feeling generous today, you don't have to come up to me and offer that. I'm, I just also want to clarify that. I like flying, but I don't, like the, I don't want to fly uh, this way. But let's say that someone, you know, out of the generosity of their heart, they're just like, man, we're going to pay for you to be able to fly. And I'm like, this is awesome. But I want to clarify something. Just because they're paying for all those things doesn't mean that it won't cost me something in the end. For instance, I love spending time with my wife. We love going to the beach and doing all the fun Charleston things. But I'm going to have to sacrifice time with her to be able to be in the air to be able to fly. I'm going to have to sacrifice passions and things that I like doing. I'm going to have to take time out of my day to study whatever type of book or whatever it is that you study to become a pilot. Even though it's free, that doesn't mean that it's not going to cost me anything to get to where I eventually want to be. Similarly, you as a Christian have received salvation freely, but that does not mean that your discipleship will not be costly. In fact, just look at the definition of what a disciple is. Here at Coastal, we simply define a disciple as someone who is pursuing the command to look more like Jesus. 1 John 2.6 says this, whoever, whoever says he abides in him, him being Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now because of our human nature, this isn't easy. This isn't something that happens naturally or without effort. It requires sacrifice. It requires taking up our cross. But now you might be sitting there and saying, okay, Jacob, scripture's clear, discipleship has a cost, check. I get that, that makes sense. But why does it have to have a cost? Why does salvation have to be free? And then why is discipleship so costly? And I believe the answer is this. If you're taking notes, this is the next fill in the blank for you. Is that discipleship has a cost because your salvation had a cost. Discipleship is costly because your salvation was costly. As Bonhoeffer calls it in his book, it required costly grace, not cheap grace, but costly grace in order to save us from our sin and where we were at. Now, does anyone know any cheapskates? And I'm not asking for a show of hands, but we've all known a few cheapskates uh, in our lives. Maybe your boss is a cheapskate. 
Maybe your mom was a cheapskate. You know, I remember growing up and, you know, my parents were, you know, I have amazing parents, but they did the classic, it's a meme now, where you're like, we want to go to Chick-fil-A and they're like, no, we have Chick-fil-A at home, but you know those $2 chicken nuggets at home don't compare to Chick-fil-A. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You know a cheapskate at some point. And uh, I know a cheapskate as well, and I have her permission to say this, uh, but my wife sometimes is a little bit of a cheapskate. And... Uh, I got her permission to say this, so I'll also say that. But, you know, I love the fact that my wife, she wants to be frugal. She wants to be wise with our money. She wants to be prepared for any possible, literally any possible bad thing that could happen in the future. She wants to be prepared for those things. And those are great things. And I love that about you, Hannah. But, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just not like that. And, you know, that's okay, yin and yang. But, um, you know, she's a little bit of a cheapskate and that's okay. But I want to clear, clarify something and be clear about this with that idea in mind is the fact that when we think about our salvation, God was not a cheapskate when it came back to buying you from your sin. In fact, God gave the most important and valuable thing that he could give. He gave his son, Jesus, for us. John 3.16 says it so clearly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave everything for us to be able to uh, to pursue him in discipleship. Is it costly? Yes. But did God give everything for us on our behalf? Yes. So what does it look like practically? What does it practically look like to pursue Jesus in this world? Well, I think the easiest example scripturally is to look at the people who followed Jesus closely and physically. What did the disciples give up to follow him? If you think back to what this point is, the, the cost of discipleship is everything. The discipleship sacrificed literally everything for Jesus. They threw away their livelihoods. They set aside their comfort, their homes, their friends, uh, some family even. It was costly. And for all of them, it ended up costing them their lives as well. Now, in our culture, following Jesus might look a little bit different than, than how it did for them. Maybe you won't be throwing away your career or your complete life plan, though some of us might need to for the glory of God. Many of us, it looks like sacrificing our time. It looks like sacrificing maybe some relationships. Maybe it looks like sacrificing our resources, our passions, maybe even some family. It is true. Discipleship is costly. But I want to clarify something. Maybe you're a person. And you're in this room and you're like, Jacob, I get it. Discipleship costs everything, but that is too broad of a term. Like, can you narrow it down for me? Can you give me like a numerical value of what it's going to cost me? Uh, for instance, uh, we went to Disney World a few weeks ago uh, as a staff. And uh, what I have right here is an authentic Skywalker saga lightsaber from Disney World. And, uh, you know, I've been wanting one of these literally my whole life. Like, ever since, like, 2006 or something, these came out, and I wanted one. And it has been a lifelong dream of mine just to get one of these lightsabers. And, you know, I, I told my wife, uh, who's awesome and loving, I was just like, Hannah, we're going to have a conversation about this. But, you know, once I'm there, I just don't know if I'm not going to be able to walk away with one. And so she knew that this was going to happen. And so I get the lightsaber, and... Um, I'm FaceTiming her that afternoon, and I'm showing her all the cool things it can do. I'm, like, clanging it, and she's just like, oh, that's great. She's, like, smiling, and I can tell she's, like, not that impressed, but it's okay because she knows it makes me happy. But, you know, she gets to the point where it's like, all right, Jacob, so how much did it cost? 
And, you know, I did exactly what, you know, I think makes sense. I said, Hannah, this is an authentic Skywalker Saga lightsaber <laughs> from Disney World. And it costs the exact amount that authentic Skywalker Saga lightsaber from Disney World costs. And that's really all that needs to be discussed. And for whatever reason, you know, I don't know why. But for my wife, that just didn't cut it. She's like, that's great, Jacob, but like how much did it cost? And maybe you're like that where you're, you're, you're saying, you know, I get the discipleship costs everything, but can you narrow it down for me? Now, although I can't appease you and tell you exactly what discipleship is going to cost every single person in this room, I can say this, and I hope it's helpful for us today. It's, it's the next fill in the blank if you're, if you're following along in the outline. It's this. The cost of discipleship is whatever it takes to look more like Jesus because God did whatever it took to have you become a part of his family. We should be willing to do whatever it takes to pursue Jesus because God did whatever it took to reconcile our sin to him. Whatever it takes. It's not easy. There is a cost. But when we're faced with the, the cost and the temporary, the temporary circumstances and things that come with pursuing Jesus in this world, we have to remember, what did Jesus give for us? He gave everything. Bonhoeffer says it this way, and this will wrap up this first point. But he says, such grace is costly because it calls us, you and me, to follow. But it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. It is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns the sin, but grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. As scripture says, you were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. So Bonhoeffer ends the first part of his book talking about cheap grace and the fact that discipleship is costly and why it's costly and how, how it's going to cost us this much. But he goes into the next part of his book. Over 100 pages he allots to this topic of talking about the Sermon on the Mount. If you know the Sermon on the Mount, you know what it's about. It's a sermon that Jesus gives in Matthew 5. And uh, Bonhoeffer spends over 100 pages of his book talking about this. And he um, expositionally breaks down the sermon. And he does so for a specific reason. It's going to be our second point for us today. The teachings of Jesus are not simply meant to be admired. They are meant to be followed. Or they are meant to be obeyed. Again, he gives a large portion of his book to talk about this topic, but he's trying to show us that the teachings of Jesus, and let's broaden this, all teachings of Scripture, they're meant to be obeyed. Those who live and operate under cheap grace aren't going to be able to follow the teachings of Jesus. They're going to look at the teachings of God's Word and say, those sound like a bunch of good suggestions. Or that might be good for that other person to do, but I don't have to adhere to that. Or I'll adhere to all this, but this one little part I really like, so I'm not going to listen to that part. Only through recognizing the costly grace of Jesus and what it meant for him to give his life for us can we then acknowledge and say, Jesus, I'm not only going to listen to parts of what you have to say, I'm going to listen to all that you have to say. The whole purpose that Bonhoeffer uh, writes this section is he's trying to show us that God's word, the Bible, is not a book of good suggestions. It is his authoritative instruction on how we should live and how we can look more like his son Jesus. And so we're called to honor and follow all of God's word. So Bonhoeffer sets the bar high for us. God's word sets the bar high for us. But I want to remind us of something that Bonhoeffer, and more importantly, God, he knows that we're not going to be perfect in that. He knows that we're going to mess up along the way. 
So, so there's a little bit of a tension, or it might seem like a little bit of a contrast, where God's word calls us to, to honor it and do all that it commands us to do, but God knows that we're going to be imperfect in that pursuit. So what is our responsibility? What is that middle ground? What are we supposed to do in the contrast of those two things? And I think simply our, the command is to grow. And let me clarify that by, let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It says this, For this very reason, reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection ultimately culminating in love. But verse 8 is important. For if these qualities are yours, and then underline this part, and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Bonhoeffer lists all these, or not Bonhoeffer, Peter, the author of 2 Peter, lists all these qualities, and he says to add to your faith these things. He's calling you to grow in godliness. He's calling you to become more like Jesus. Add these things to take your next steps in becoming more like Jesus. But verse 8 is kind of peculiar. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Now, I think if we're all being honest, we'll look at that list, and no one's going to be able to say that I have mastered all those things. You know, we'll see self-control. We'll see steadfastness. We'll see love. You know, there's some, we all have room to grow in these areas. So why does Peter say, if these qualities are yours and are increasing? I believe the point Peter is making is that even by the grace of God, even if by the grace of God you were able to add all those things to your life, simply because we're human, we would still have room to grow. There would still be room to become more and more like Jesus because we're imperfect. We haven't made it yet and we won't until Jesus comes back or until we go to be with him. I believe that if there was a day one Christian sitting in a chair this morning, Peter would look at them and he would say, hey, we have this list of these things right here. We're going to grow in these areas. But the command is simply, let's grow together. Let's become more like Jesus. There's still room uh, to grow. But similarly, if there was a day 10,000 Christian sitting in a chair in here this morning, I believe Peter would say the exact same thing. He would say, hey, by the grace of God, you've added many of these things to your life but there's still a little room to grow. Let's take those next steps. Whatever, and that next step looks different for everyone. For the day one Christian and the day 10,000 Christian, it looks different. But the command is the same. Are we gonna be perfect uh, doing it? No. But that doesn't change our responsibility. It's to grow. It's to look at the commands of God's word, recognize that it is his authoritative word telling us how to live, and then just seeking to live it out to the best of our ability. So that's the point of this, of the second point. Peter is calling us to grow. Now, whether that's one baby step at a time for a person or five big leaps on a big weekend, on a big day or at a conference or, or whatever that is, the responsibility is the same. Grow. And my question for you would be, you know, when we close in a few minutes is, are you growing? Are you taking next steps to ensure that you do grow? If not, what is getting in the way? What sacrifices need to be made? to ensure that you are. Again, we don't grow just to show others that, that we're, we're better than them. We don't grow because it feels good. We grow because the, the costly grace of Jesus costs him everything. And out of the love and overflow of our heart for what he's done for us, that's why we grow. Because we recognize that costly grace 
Again, those who live under cheap grace, you won't be able to pursue those commands. You won't be able to grow adequately. It is only through recognizing the costly grace of the gospel that we can do that. Now, understand discipleship, growing, sacrificing things that we love uh, to become more like Jesus, picking up our cross, this is all hard. This isn't easy. This isn't something that comes naturally. But I want our last point, uh, our third point, to be an encouragement for us all here today. It's this, seeking to grow in discipleship is costly, but the reward is worth it. Again, living for Jesus isn't easy. In fact, we live in a world that directly opposes the things of God. If you don't believe me, simply start with the gospel. The gospel offends the world in two ways. First, it tells the world that we all have a problem called sin. Now, I don't know about you, but most people I've spoken to don't like being told that that we all have issues. We all have a problem called sin. But the second way is it acknowledges that we don't have the way to fix our sin. We don't have the way to fix our problem. I'm the type of person where if I know I have an issue, I'm gonna put my head down. I'm gonna like ignore like other things that I probably should be paying attention to. And I'm just gonna hyper-focus on that one thing and just try to fix it. That's not how it works in Christianity. That's not how the gospel works. We can't fix our problems and the world doesn't like that. That message directly contradicts what the world tells us to do. But as much as it costs us to live for Jesus in this world, I want to remind us not only that it costs Jesus his life for you, but that there are rewards that come with being a disciple. Now, what are those two rewards? Well, the rewards are freedom and joy. Bonhoeffer talks about freedom and joy uh, in length in his book, and he talks about how important they are and how they mean so much to us, belie- to us as believers. But I just want to remind us that we have this freedom and joy if you're a believer. Romans 8, 2 says this, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, remember when I first talked about me being a former user and abuser of cheap grace, I thought that because Christ had died, I was free to go and do whatever I wanted. I thought that's what freedom was. But when you recognize the costly grace of Jesus and and accept that he died so much and he gave so much for me that I'm going to seek to become more like him and, and grow in my discipleship, that's when we began to live, begin to live in true freedom that only comes through knowing him. It's the freedom that we now have the ability, the power within us to say no to sin. No to addiction, no to the sin that we just can't escape, that we keep running back to, that we've been in bondage to for years. We have the power through Jesus to say no to that, and we can choose something else, something better. We can choose Jesus because he is better than that sin. We have the ability and power to say, I have seen the costly graces of God, and I know that it is better than anything this world has to offer, any of the instant gratification that this world seeks to give. Jesus is better is because of costly grace that we can do that. That is the freedom that we have. And as as I say that, my heart and my face, I I just have joy. I'm smiling. I am ecstatic that I have that freedom, that I have that joy, that you as a Christian in this room, you have that freedom and you have that joy as well. But even if you're not a believer in this room, that same grace, that same freedom, that same joy is extended to you for free. Your salvation is free. You you can come just as you are for that freedom. Jesus has given that to you. And then we can seek to take our next step in discipleship, our next steps. And so as we close, 
we're gonna pray. But as we pray, I want you, uh, if you're a believer, just to think about, um, and, and as you're praying to God, just pray about what are those next steps that I need to take? Are there things that are standing in the way of me taking those next steps to grow in godliness, to grow in my discipleship? Ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to you and ask him to give you the power to, to choose him. Remind yourself of the costly grace of Jesus. When we take communion here in a few minutes, that's what that's about. You can take communion and remind yourself, Jesus gave it all for me. And so out of joy and an overflow of love for what he's done, I'm going to seek to honor what he calls me to do, which is to grow in my discipleship. That doesn't mean that it's not gonna be costly. That doesn't mean that it's gonna happen instantaneously. It takes time. But the reward is worth it. The freedom that we live in only through Jesus is so worth it. That joy that we have as believers, it's worth the sacrifice that it takes to look more like him. But if you're a non-believer in this room and you're hearing about this freedom and joy and you recognize what Jesus has done and you believe uh, that he is the son of God and that he died on your behalf and you want to receive this freedom and joy and you want to begin to take your first step in discipleship, as we pray, I would just ask you to pray something like this. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know that. I believe that you lived the perfect life I could not and then died the death that I deserved. Say that I recognize that your death was costly, but you rose again and defeated my sin so that I could live in freedom and joy. I surrender to you today, King Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray and, and pray however you feel led to pray in that moment. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for uh, your grace, God. God, we thank you for uh, just the costly grace of Jesus and what he paid to reconcile us to you, Father. Lord, we would be lost without you. Lord, naturally, we don't crave or desire anything of you. But Lord, because of your son, we have the ability to live in true freedom and true joy. God, if there's a, uh, a Christian in this room who there's just some things getting in the way of their discipleship, Lord, I pray that they would just give those things to you, Lord. Lord, search my heart. Lord, if there's anything standing in the way of me taking my next steps, reveal those things to me and help me to give me the power to take those next steps. God, if there's someone who isn't a believer in this room, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to convict and to call them to you, Father, and that they would uh, answer the call and would surrender to you and begin to take their first steps in discipleship. Lord, we thank you. It is, uh, we would not be anywhere without you, Father. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.